Amen. Well, we have certainly enjoyed the day, and when I say we, I'm talking about my wife and I and the missionaries. We've been commenting amongst ourselves, and this has been such a tremendous encouragement to all of us, and I've heard it again and again today from our missionaries, and thank you, church, for all that you've done and you're doing, and uh, wow, I don't know how we can thank you other than to say this is tremendous, and it's something that just we will never forget. It's an experience you just don't forget. Um, I was watching the presentation tonight that uh, Brother Nathan has put together there and the Lear family, and I was sitting there praying, God, help us in this hour. Help us in this hour to reach not only Metro America, but help us to reach our nation in this hour. Let's take our Bibles tonight. I want you to turn to 2 Corinthians tonight, 2 Corinthians. Last night we preached a message on how do you maintain a burden. Tonight I want to talk about motivation, motivation to reach our nation, motivation to reach our nation. You know and I know the purpose of any mission's emphasis is to bring, really, bring us face to face with God. Uh, anytime that uh, a conference like this goes on, of course, it, it does uh, bring us face to face with God. Uh, concerning uh, His plan and His uh, command to go into all the world. And uh, that certainly is something that we all need to contemplate as far as what part we're going to play in all of that. And then secondly, I, I think a conference, uh, missions conference, always brings us face to face with God concerning our, our possessions and what we're going to do with those possessions and how we're going to uh, spend the money that God has given us to spend and use it for His honor and glory. But you know, really when you think about it, that's about as far as a, a missions emphasis or conference can go because then, um, you know what, our free will has to kick in at that point and we can determine to do what God has led us to do or leading us to do. We can determine to do that or we can determine not to do that, but the blessing is ours to have or not have. But when we agree with God, isn't it good to know that when we agree with God, he becomes active in our life, and He uses us in ways that we never thought we could be used. And that's such a blessing to think about that. I, I don't know about you, but I love, I love missionary history. Anyone, anyone love history in here? I like missionary history. I, I like to read about uh, early American missionary work, and uh, the name I'm going to mention tonight is a very familiar name. Most of us will know it as soon as I mention it. Uh, David Brainerd, of course, was born in the early 1700s in Connecticut. And uh, at a very young age, uh, he uh, determined that God was wanting to use him as a, a missionary to reach the Native Americans. And he worked with several tribes in New Jersey, um, also in uh, uh, Delaware and different areas. And, uh, you know, he would spend extensive amounts of time trying to learn the, the Native American languages and and trying to get those people the gospel. And uh, he died at the ripe old age of 29 from what they called consumption back then. It would be what we would call tuberculosis today. But it's interesting, very few people realize the last 19 weeks of David Brainerd's life were spent in the home of a famous New England theologian by the name of Jonathan Edwards. And actually, Brainerd was engaged to one of Edward's daughters. Now, they never would be married because uh, Brainerd would go on to heaven. But during the time that Brainerd was trying to reach the Native American tribes, he, he kept an extensive diary. 
And that diary, of course, fell into the hands of Jonathan Edwards. And Edwards began to read that diary, and he was absolutely taken with the commitment of a David Brainerd. And at that point, Jonathan Edwards sat down and wrote a little book. And the title of that book is The Life and Diary of David Brainerd. Forty years later, 40 years later, that little book ends up in the hands of an English preacher. And that English preacher will read that book several times, and he'll begin to pray about what God would have him to do when it, when it came to him answering God's call to go maybe to a mission field. And that missionary, that pastor, would, would surrender to the mission field in the 1700s, and he would determine that India was his destination. And that man's name was William Carey, the father of modern-day missions. It's interesting also to realize that Jonathan Edwards, the last eight years of his life, he really, he would um, actually resign his church there in the Northeast, and he would go to the mission field, and he would attempt to reach also the Native Americans. Now, when I, when I read things like that, my first question is, I wonder what it was that motivated those men. What was it that that motivated them to do what God was calling them to do? Was there one thing? Was there multiple things? And uh, I know the call is so paramount in, in, a, in a missionary's life. And I, I teach a class at BIMI. How do you, how do you stay in missions for a lifetime? And, and we talk a lot about that call. And I talk about the fact that really, you know, when you think about it, many times the call is what keeps you doing what God has indeed given you to do. But when I read about men like that, and when I read about things that happen in the lives of men like that, I, I wonder, what was it that motivated them? Maybe what we need to do tonight is, is ask the Apostle Paul, the greatest missionary outside of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's ask Paul this evening. Let's go to the Scriptures and ask Paul, hey, Paul, what motivated you? What motivated you to do what you did and to continue on even during those tough times? What, what motivated you? Let me ask you tonight. What, what motivates you, Central Baptist Church, to do all that you're doing this week and, and to do all that you do when it comes to worldwide evangelization? I think if we ask the Apostle Paul tonight, his response would be 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 14. For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. And he goes on in that passage in verse 15 under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And, and he says, and, and that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. Tonight, a simple message, motivation to reach our nation. Let's pray together. Father, tonight we thank you for the wonderful uh, opening program tonight with all of the young people. Lord, how humbling it is. And and how motivating it is to see them singing the songs they sung and to recite the scriptures. And Lord, it's just an encouragement tonight to see all that we have seen this evening. And yet, Lord, tonight we need something from your word. And I thank you for the rich history and the, the heritage here at Central Baptist Church and, and the heart for missions that they have and the heart for missionaries and the tremendous way in which you're using this church for worldwide evangelization. And, and tonight, dear Lord, I, I may be preaching to the choir tonight, but, but I believe tonight that all of us, dear Lord, 
we not only need to be motivated in this hour, but dear Lord, we need to stay motivated for you and your cause until you return or until we go to be with you. So Father, help us tonight and we'll pray now in Jesus' name and we'll ask it for his sake. Amen. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14, For the love of Christ constraineth us. That word constraineth tonight means to provide direction. It means to, to move towards a certain direction or to be motivated to move sort towards a certain direction. I don't know about you, but many times I'll look up a word in the dictionary and sometimes I'll read all the meanings and I'll, I'll sit there and I'll read them again and then I'll close the dictionary. And after reading all the meanings, I'll still think to myself, or the definitions, I'll still think to myself, you know, I still don't know what that word means. Really, when you think about motivation, motivation is kind of a word like that. Motivation is one of those words that's probably better demonstrated than defined. So let me share a quick story with you. Uh, we were restarting a church in Alice, Texas several years ago, and we had a man there to restart the church. His name was Matt Sandoval. Matt pastors near Corpus Christi, Texas today, but he was over in Alice, Texas, and Alice, Texas was pretty close to the Mexico border, and uh, Grace Baptist Church had been there for a number of years, but had gone into decline and had actually come close to closing, but Matt was there, and he wanted us to come, and so what we do when we restart a church, we do a lot of the same things we do as we, uh, that we would do when we plant a church, and uh, what we try and do is we rely heavily on sister churches to help us distribute literature. The goal was to get out 10,000 packets of John and Romans and information about the church in about a two-week time. So we started calling churches in that region, asking them to come and help us, and they'd come in mainly on Saturdays. And so what they do basically is we'd assemble, we'd have a quick devotion, maybe a cup of coffee, and then we'd give them maps and we'd give them literature and they'd go out to the city and they'd distribute in their certain areas and then usually they'd come back and they'd have a lunch and they'd go home by noon or one o'clock or something like that. Well, on a given Saturday, the church groups had all come in and we had a devotion, we gave them the maps, we gave them the materials and everybody left and I found myself in the auditorium standing there by myself. So I thought, well, I'll just grab a box of literature and a map and I'll head to wherever region we had designated. So I get in the car and I'm heading to the north side of Alice, Texas. Now when I'm by myself and distributing literature, I just start like you do, you know, right in the middle of the block, you know, and make a big circle, eventually get back to your car. I had just turned the corner, I was on the end of the block, I was just going to the other side of the street and I was going to distribute that other side of the street. It was pretty early in the morning yet. And I looked down the street and I saw something I didn't want to see. I saw, I saw a pack of dogs, about four or five dogs, and they, uh, they didn't look like they had any owners and they looked like they'd been running free for some time, preacher. And, uh, you know, I'm a dog lover, amen? I like dogs. I like dogs one dog at a time, amen? And I looked down there and, you know, I felt led of the Lord to get back to my car. And so now I'm running, and it's never pretty when a man over 60 runs, amen? But I'm running, and uh, I'm, I'm dropping some literature, but I thought, you know what, I can always come back and get it. I need to save my hide, Clyde, you know? And so I'm, I'm running, and, and the lead pack dog, he saw me running, and he was glad to share the news with his buddies, and, and now the race was on. And I mean, here they come, and I've got this rental car, and I'm thinking, and I'm hitting the clicker as I'm running, and I'm praying, Lord, if you'll just get this door open, and if I can just get there before they do, I will be so thankful, Lord. And fortunately, I did get to the door before they got to me. I looked like one of those cartoon characters, you know, with the feet way out in front of the guy. I'm picking them up. I'm putting them down. 
And I got to the door and I got in the car, I jumped in the car, I slammed the door. Just as the lead pack dog got to the side of the car, I kid you not, he was so frustrated he had not had a chance to partake of me that he started chewing on the rearview mirror. <laughs> He's sitting there chewing on it. And I put it in drive, I, I laughed at him first, and then I put it in drive and I got out of there. Now I was motivated, amen? <laughs> I was highly motivated. Now, ladies and gentlemen, if we're going to reach our neighbors and this nation, like we need to reach our neighbors in this nation and the world in this hour, you know, we need something to uh, not only motiva motivate us this week, but we need something to keep us motivated until the Lord returns or until we go to be with Him. And so tonight, I, I want to share with you just some simple things from this passage. And, uh, and uh, look with me, first of all, if you will, tonight, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 8, and these are simple things tonight that will help keep you motivated for the cause of Christ when it comes to evangelization, when it comes to soul winning, when it comes to giving to missions, when it comes to uh, praying for missionaries, when it comes to being involved in the ministry that Central Baptist has for uh, reaching the world with the gospel. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 8, we are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. And from verse 1 in chapter 5 all the way down to verse 8, Paul's talking about, hey, one day as a born-again child of God, and I trust that's what you are tonight here in this building, and if tonight you're not a child of God, you know it's not God's will that any should perish, but that all should get, come to repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. But you know, it's a wonderful thing to know if you are saved tonight that, hey, one day, Paul's talking about in verse 8, hey, one day we're, we're, going to, we're going to take that last step, we're going to breathe our last breath, we're going to be out of this tabernacle, we're going to have a new building, a new tabernacle not made with hands, and one day as born-again believers, we're going to be absent from the body and present with the Lord. As I get a little bit older, that is a motivating factor in my life on a daily basis. I am headed to a wonderful place filled with God's glory and grace, the place called heaven. Last night, I think we read from Revelation 21. I want you to look at some things tonight. Let's zero in again on that passage, Revelation 21, verse 4. I am always, I am always thankful that in heaven there will be some, there will not be some things present. Look at Revelation 21 verse 4, and God shall wipe away all tears. Hey, hang around this life any amount of time, what happens? Our eyes fill with tears, do they not? Tears in our eyes because of things that have happened to those we love or circumstances in our life that we have no control over. We live this life, do we not, through a veil of tears? Aren't you glad, ladies and gentlemen, I'll tell you what, the thing that motivates me on a regular basis these days is the fact that, hey, this is not it. We are headed to that wonderful place of God's glory and grace, the place called heaven, where the Bible says there'll be no more tears, but I also notice there'll be no more death. Hey, down here, death is our enemy, right? It separates us from those we love. It separates us from those we fellowshiped with in the local church. Aren't you glad that we don't have to worry about that thing called death when we get to our final destination? Have you discovered something? Life's kind of short, isn't it? 
Eternity's long. Hey, we brought nothing into this world. We're taking nothing out. But the souls of men and women, boys and girls. If I were to take a piece of yarn tonight and somehow attach that piece of yarn to this wall over here on the left side, my left side of the auditorium, let's try and stretch that yarn all the way across the auditorium and attach the other end of the piece of yarn to that wall. Let's call this piece of yarn tonight a timeline, okay? A timeline. Let's let this wall over there, way over there, represent the day you were born. In my case, December 21st, 1952. Let's let this wall over here, if the Lord tarries, let, let's let that wall represent the day we step out into eternity. Now, we don't know exactly when that day may be, and we don't know if the Lord will return before that day would ever come, but even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Amen? But anyway, be that what it is. Let's let this wall represent the day you would step out into eternity. Now, I'm not the sharpest knife in the drawer, as you've discovered, but if, if this middle aisle here is middle age, I'm, I'm over here somewhere. I'm, I'm a lot closer to this wall over here than I am over there. And s some of you could join me over here tonight. Amen? I was, <laughs> I was using this illustration one night, and, and an elderly gentleman, I, I asked the question, I said, now where are you on the timeline? Because sometimes we live our lives really not realizing how close we are to stepping out into eternity. I said, where are you on the timeline? An elderly gentleman in the back of the auditorium, he said, I'm leaning on the wall. <laughs> hey, life is short, right? Eternity is long. We brought nothing into this world. We're taking nothing out but the souls of men and women, boys and girls. And aren't you glad tonight, ladies and gentlemen, we are headed for that wonderful place, the place called heaven. To me, that's a motivator. Amen. Hey, Paul, what kept you motivated during those days where, where there was real challenges? What kept you motivated when people opposed you? What kept you motivated when you shipwrecked? What kept you motivated, Paul, when they threw you in prison? And I think he could stand here tonight if somehow, some way, he could be here this evening. He'd say, I'll tell you what, what kept me going was the fact that I knew I was headed for that wonderful place. Motivation, motivation to reach our nation, to reach our neighbors. There's the motivating factor of heaven. But, but secondly, notice with me in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 tonight in verse 10, there's, the, there's this motivating fact of accountability. Accountability. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 10, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done of his body, in his body, according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Now we understand, and you understand tonight, Paul's a Christian, he's writing to Christians, and he's saying, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. So what the Bible is really saying is that for the child of God, one day we will give an account. We're going to stand before the Lord, and we're going to give an account to the Lord Jesus Christ. You say, well, what are we going to be accountable for? I, I believe, and I'm convinced, Pastor, we're going to be accountable for every opportunity that God gave us to serve Him. I believe we'll be accountable for every talent, maybe, that He gave to us, how we use that talent. I've been so impressed with the music this week and the, the talent here in this church and my, I, I took piano lessons for six years. I tell everybody it went in this hand and out this hand. Amen? 
you know, we're going to be accountable for those talents that God gave us. Hey, think about it. I'm accountable to God for my life. I'm accountable to God for my influence. I'm accountable to God for my possessions. I'm accountable to God for absolutely everything He has placed in my hands. He is the master. I'm the steward. Everything we have came from Him, and one day we're going to have to stand before the Lord Jesus Christ and give an account. We're not going to stand before the Lord. If you know the Lord tonight, if you've trusted Him as your Savior, if you've realized you're a sinner, and you've realized that there's a price to pay for sin, and you've, you've come to that place of realizing there's only one person who could pay that price, and His name was Jesus Christ, and you've put your faith and trust in Him, and what He did on that old cross of Calvary, and how He came out of that grave holding alive with victory over death, victory over hell, victory over the grave. Hey, if you've put your trust in Christ, we're not going to stand before God to see if we get into heaven or not. Thank God that's, that's settled down here on this earth while we're living and breathing and walking upon this earth. But, you know, the lost person will stand before the great white throne judgment, but we're going to have to, uh, we're going to, have to stand before the Lord Jesus Christ and give an account of what we've done and, and how we've used those things that God has placed in our hand. One day, we're going to have to be accountable for it all. And to me, I don't know about you, some people say, well, that might scare me a bit, but, you know, it motivates me to realize, you know, my day of accounting is coming, well, it's coming closer every day. And when you think about that, everyone is in the same situation. So, you ever thought about this, who you're going to stand next to at the judgment seat of Christ? I don't know, the Bible really doesn't say, will we be standing in line? Will we be there all together in a group? I mean... The Bible really doesn't say. What if we're standing in line? I, I thought about this recently, and I thought about, you know, maybe there's someone before me that's giving an account, and I'm, 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 I'm supposed to be standing there right behind him to give my account next. And, and this man, and he's standing there giving his account, and he starts talking about as a young man, he, he uh, grew up in a home where Honestly, no one went to church, and then one day a neighbor person invited him to go to church, and he heard for the first time that there was a Jesus that loved him, and so it took several months, but finally he came to that place of realizing he was lost. Now, I'm hearing all of this, and he said, there was a day when I was nine years old where I walked forward in a service, and I trusted Christ as my Savior. He goes on to give his account, and he's talking about the fact that he was called to ministry. He didn't know exactly where until he was in his early 20s. And then he determined, and I'm hearing this, he said, I determined that God wanted me on a mission field. And he said, I didn't know where, but I knew God wanted me in missions. And so I just kept praying, and, and God showed me a very remote place where there was very little gospel light. Portland, Oregon. No, no. <laughs> Boy, thank you for that presentation tonight. That, that moved my heart. I liked all the presentations, and, and that one moved my heart tonight, too. But he gives his account of the fact that, you know, he went to this very obscure place, and it was, a very, it was very dark, and there was very little gospel preaching, but he just faithfully kept proclaiming the Word of God, and proclaiming the Word of God, and God had given him a godly wife to go with him, and, and they just kept praying that God would give them some converts and some souls, and Eventually, a, a man came to the services and was saved, and then he brought another family. And he's talking about all of this, and I'm hearing it all. He, he tells about the time when they lost their first baby and before, before she was due. And he talks about the fact that they just determined that God wanted them to continue, and they got through that. And 
He talked about some real hardships that occurred in those early days, but, but finally that, that man shared about how one day that man that had been saved early in their ministry came to him and said, Pastor, I think, I think God's calling me to be a pastor. And he said, we trained that man ourselves, and my wife trained his wife, and we sat at our kitchen table week after week and tried to train them and get them ready for the ministry. And we sent them out, and they started a little church. And, and from that church, there were other churches that were started. And he, he gives this accounting about how now in that area where once it was just very dark, there's gospel church, a gospel preaching church after a gospel preaching church after a gospel preaching church. And he gives that accounting and he's done and I hear these words. Next. And it's my turn. I get up in the morning quite often thinking, you know, I'm getting closer and closer to that accounting day. And I don't know about you, but it motivates me. It keeps me going. It keeps me wanting to pray like I ought to pray, and it motivates me to give like I should give. It, it motivates me to share like I need to share. Hey, Paul, what kept you going? What motivated you, Paul? He'd have to say, I, I knew I was headed to that better place, the place called heaven. I, I think he'd say, you know, I, I knew there'd be a day of accounting. Here's the third motivator tonight. Look at verse 11. Same passage of Scripture tonight. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 11. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. I want you to look at that word persuade tonight. You know, just as there's a heaven awaiting every believer, there is a hell awaiting every unbeliever. Let me ask you tonight, and, and I know this is so basic, but Do you believe lost people really end up in a literal, eternal hell? Let me ask you, do you have a lost person in your family tonight? Do you have a mother that's lost, a father that's lost? How about a son or daughter that's lost? Do you have someone you dearly love that's lost, a neighbor, a friend? Do you really believe, or are you convinced in your mind, in your heart, as we spoke about last night, are you really convinced that the heathen are lost? If I were to pass out a piece of paper tonight, two questions on the piece of paper. Question number one, do you believe in a literal, eternal heaven, yes or no? Probably everybody in here tonight would circle yes. Why? Because this is a Bible-believing church, and, and the doctrine of heaven is, is Bible doctrine, and it's truth, and it's real, and it's literal, and that has been preached from this pulpit again and again and again over the years, and we'd all circle the we'd all circle that question, yes. Question number two, do you believe in a literal eternal hell, yes or no? And again, we would probably, all of us would circle yes. Why? Again, because for the same reasons, it's a Bible doctrine, it's a Bible truth. There is a literal eternal hell, and it's described in Scripture again and again. But may I suggest to you many times what happens as fundamentalists and what happens to us as born-again children of God, these become facts. They become facts that we know about, things that we've heard about for many, many years. And those facts, we can give mental assent to many things in the Bible, but, but those facts of a literal eternal heaven 
and a literal eternal hell, they have to hit our hearts every once in a while or we'll never be used of God like we could be used of God. And as a result, there's really not the burden we need to have or the agonizing prayer that maybe ought to go on or the sacrificial giving that needs to be done. I gave my testimony on Wednesday night. I was saved at age 27. You know what my first reaction was when I got saved? This is great. Hallelujah. You mean to tell me the Lord has forgotten all about my past sin? That's right. Wow, that's tremendous. And he's going to forgive me in the present and he's going to forgive me in the future. If I mess up, that's correct. If you'll confess it and forsake it, amen. Hallelujah. You know what my next reaction was? I got to tell somebody. I got to tell somebody. Now, when I got saved, I had, to, I had to leave the radio business for a little while because I, well, I left it behind actually at that point because I really couldn't play that music anymore. So I went to work in a plastics plant. And I started working with a man by the name of Roger. His last name was Hood. And let me tell you, he was one. He was a Hood. And I worked with Roger for several months in that plastic plant. And uh, I, I did not know how to share the gospel. I was dumber than a box of rocks. I really was. I, I knew little about sharing the gospel. And I went to my pastor one day and I said, Pastor, I work with a man. His name is Roger. And I said, man, I sure wish he could get saved. And he said, well, Bob, God may have you there for that very purpose. And I said, Pastor, I, I don't know how to talk to him about that. He said, well, he said, why don't you just grab some tracks in the back? He said, and I'll tell you what you do. Just put them in his toolbox and, and put it on his workbench. And, and just when you get a chance, just, just uh, lay him down there where he's working and, and encourage him to read it and let's see what happens. So I went to work, man. I put him on his workbench and I'd put him in his toolbox. I put the tracks in his toolbox and, and I'd come by his workstation. They'd be on the floor and I'd pick him up and I'd put him back on his workbench. And one day I, I came back from the tool crib. I had to get a tool and and I came by, and, and Roger's reading one of those tracks. And I walk up behind Roger, and I kind of scared him. I said, what do you think about that? And he jumps, and he said, I don't know, Bob. I got a lot of questions. And I thought, uh-oh, I don't have any answers. But I remembered, I remembered, hey, we had a man coming to our church. I said, hey, Roger, listen, we got a guy coming to, to our church on Sunday. He, he's a... He's a special preacher. I can't remember what they call him. And I, I was trying to come up with a name. Finally, I said, oh, yeah, he's an evangelist. He's coming Sunday. He'll answer all your questions. Whew, got out of that one. Amen. I went to church Sunday. Roger wasn't there. So I went back to work Monday morning. I said, hey, Roger, I, I looked under all the pews yesterday and looked behind the doors. I didn't see you anywhere. He said, no, nah, we didn't come. I said, you got to come tonight. He's only here till Friday night. Come tonight, Roger. I kept it up every single, I mean, every single day we talked about this meeting we were having. And I said, Roger, you've got to come and hear this man. He's teaching things from the Bible that you've never heard before, and you need to come. Guess who walked in Thursday night? Roger Hood walked into the service with his wife. Remember what it was like when you first got saved? And you invited somebody to come to church and they came? Wow, that's a source of joy for an entire week. And if they make a decision, wow, that's a source of joy for an entire month. Remember what it was like when you first got saved and, and someone was in the services that you had invited and you knew they were lost? You know what you were doing. You were praying, oh God, work in their heart and help them to understand what they've heard and help them to do something tonight. 
that'll make a difference in their life eternally. And I looked up and, and Roger was standing down front talking to evangelist Jack Mount and that night Roger Hood got saved. Amen. Whoa! You know what I did the next day? I went back to work. I said, all right, who's next here? Who's next? I mentioned this last night about little Tommy Hodge, the first person I ever had a chance to lead to the Lord from that junior boys class. But you know, when I come to that place where I really don't have the burden I ought to have for people, I think about Tommy Hodge and I, I think about Roger Hood. About a month later, Roger's wife got saved and about a year later, his son got saved. All I'm saying tonight, ladies and gentlemen, that that compassion that I should have will be there if I'll let those facts of a literal eternal heaven and a literal eternal hell hit my heart on a regular basis. How do I stay motivated for missions and for reaching my neighbor and, and reaching this nation and, and continuing on doing what God has commanded me to do as a Christian. How do we stay motivated? Well, we've got to remember that this world is not our home. We're just a passing through. We've got to remember that there's a day of accounting. There's a literal, eternal place called hell. And here's the last thing tonight, and that's this. There is the motivating fact every single day you live, Christian, that Jesus Christ loves you. If we could just wrap our minds around that on a daily basis. I want you to see that in 2 Corinthians tonight. It's the text verse, verse number 14 of chapter 5. For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. If we could just wrap our minds... If in the morning when our feet hit the floor, if we could just stop a moment and say, you know what, today I have a Savior that loves me. He loved me yesterday. He's going to love me today. And He will love me tomorrow. I have a Savior that loves me. And He wants the very best for me. And he knows everything that I'm going to face today. And I'm going to live this day today knowing and being assured of the fact that Jesus Christ loves me. Amen. If we could just get a hold of that simple fact, no one would have to persuade us to pray like we need to pray or to give like we should or to do anything the Lord would want us to do if we could just realize how much he loves us. Now, Paul was not saying in this passage, he was not saying, well, it's my great love for Jesus. No, no. He was saying, it's his love for me that motivates me. It's what he did for me. It's his love for me that motivates It's for his love for me that motivates me. Jesus loved us so much that he came down from heaven's glory this earth and he lived as a servant and suffered and humbled and died on that cruel cross and he was buried and resurrected why because he loves us for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish 
but have everlasting life. Ladies, you remember the first time, or maybe you guys remember the first time, you know, maybe you were dating way back then, and you knew that, oh, you knew that he was the one. You just knew it. He maybe had not even given you any inkling of an engagement, but you knew he was the one. And you remember that day that he turned to you, and you knew he was sincere when he looked you in the eyes and he said, I love you. You guys maybe remember the same thing about her. That's a wonderful thing to hold on to and think about. One day the Holy Spirit revealed to me that Jesus Christ loved me and that he died for me. And by the way, he knew everything about me. He knew all the sins I'd ever, I'd ever committed. He knew all the sins I ever would commit. In spite of that, he loved me. I found out something a few years ago when it comes to the love of Jesus. The more you realize how much God loves you and how much Jesus loves you, the more you'll want to be involved in what Jesus loves. And Jesus loves the world. And he wants to see mankind saved. If you know the chorus, join with me tonight. I'm not much of a singer, but I'll try and lead you. Oh, how he loves you and me. Oh, how he loves you and me. He gave his life. What more could he been here these days and witnessed the involvement that Central Baptist Church has in evangelization and missions. We've, uh, it's been easy to see that you're motivated, but to stay motivated, let's remember we're headed for that better place. There's going to be a day of accounting. There's going to be that day where we're going to have to give an account. Let's, uh, let's remind ourselves again and again that you know what? Hell is still a literal eternal place. And let's live our lives every day, waking up in the morning and realizing we have a Savior that loves us.